Good afternoon and welcome to Town Square. As we like to tell you each week, our conversations include you. If you'd like to be with us, you can. The phone lines are open at 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. Now, there's no shortage of daily vitriol about the presidential candidates, and the rest of the country seems pretty focused on the general election. In Hawaii, we still have our primary Come Saturday, we'll have some answers to take to our general election. And tonight, we're going to talk about some of the key races with UH Public Policy Center Director Colin Moore and HPR's contributing editor, Neil Milner. And we want to hear from you. What contests in your district are you keenly watching? What are you paying attention to this election cycle as we're about uh, two days away from our primary? 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. Three six eight nine. Welcome back, guys. Thank you for being here. Oh, pleasure as always. So, Leo, you know, looking at this election so far, uh, we we try to characterize elections as we as we go into them. Any thoughts in particular about this one relative to all the other ones that we've ever talked about? Neil, I'll start with you. It's a lot like a lot of the elections that you have in Hawaii, especially when you. Well, I guess I can stop there. There are no serious contests for the national office, really. Uh, in, in the primary, um, the uh, legislative offices. There's a lot of people running unopposed. Um, it's likely to be low turnout. The races that seem to be most interesting here in this island are the mayoral race, um, and then there are some mayoral races. And as usual, there's more vibrance on the neighbor islands. I think in terms of political activity on these. But I think this is going to be a relatively low turnout election. That doesn't mean there are, there's certainly some interesting things that we can talk about. But overall, I don't think there's a whole lot of excitement here, except for the mayor's race. And I'm not even convinced that that's enough to bring out voters. It sounds like you think it's going to be a a bit boring, or is that an overstatement? (laughs) Well, you know, uh, elections here are not theater. And and elections that, yeah, I mean, for most people, the average person, the elections are boring anyway. People don't vote. They don't care very much about politics. Now, I know that we're going to get phone calls from people who say, I do, and that's absolutely right because the people who call in here are unusually interested, are, are people that are involved in the political process. But it's not like whatever we would like to think that elections here or in most places are, every, are ever really highly visible. It takes generally some kind of highly contested election in a state in which there is high political activity uh, and in which there is competitive two parties. We don't have any of those three here. So whether you call it boring or not, elections here tend to take on a kind of at the most a sort of background buzz that you hear on a radio station. Okay, so Neil says not a lot of excitement, a lot of sort of, as he called it, background buzz do you agree with him, Colin? Sure. This this is a pretty boring election, but no, I mean it's partly theater. it's partly our job to to highlight <laughs> some of these down ticket races that that do show some signs of being interesting. I mean, of course, the two nonpartisan mayoral races on the Big Island and here in the city and county are, are fairly interesting. There's a couple of races on Maui that I think are interesting. You do, I think, see maybe the beginning of some progressive challenges on the left to some of these candidates. They might not win this time. But I think you see the beginning of that, even, and I think we're going to get to this, even Shea Chan Hodges' challenge to Tulsi Gabbard at the federal level. These folks might not win, 
But I do think you see the beginnings of what may become more frequent, which is that Democratic incumbents, who are often fairly conservative, are going to face challenges to the left. I think that one of the things that we should keep in mind when we talk about it is that you always have to keep in mind, I think, to understand what's going on, the exciting races and non-exciting races, is why these patterns are pretty stable. Why do we end up saying about the same thing in every election? And it's not just about Hawaii. But in, in the comments that both Colin and I have made up to now, there's a kind of implicit notion that things operate in a sort of predictable way all the time for explainable reasons. And we'll get a chance to explain some of those. All right. Well, well, maybe let's explain some of those you know, now. You've already made some of the comments about how you feel, both of you, about this race. Uh, you, although we have plenty of you know, high drama and theater on the national stage, and we talk lots about politics being local and people caring about what's happening in their neighborhoods. You and I talked a bit about that yesterday on the conversation. But how do you look at this and say, okay, you've got the beginnings of maybe some movements here that might change a little bit, you know, the, the shades of blue in, in Hawaii, and that may take us into a slightly different direction. But, you know, talk a little bit more about that. Let me just mention two things briefly that are extraordinarily important. One is the power of incumbency. And so whatever people think about neighborhood activity and neighborhood politics, the incumbent is highly likely to win. That's not just true in Hawaii. It's true anywhere else. The second thing is the historical structural weakness of Hawaii's Republican Party. And so that a kind of development of a candidate over time, a gradual improvement, an increase in the number of really contested elections, that's very, very hard. And I want to make it very clear. This is not about individual Republican thinkers not being able to do this. There is a historic disadvantage here that is very important in explaining what those things are. If you have to mention two things, to me, those are the two things that you have to understand. Uh, the first one is an important factor nationally. The second one varies by state according to how much they are. But this is about as strong a Democratic state and on the other side a, st a weaker Republican state as it can be. And you see that all the way through the state elections and even maybe to some extent in the nonpartisan Oahu uh, mayor election. Colin, you're talking about incumbents. And it's not just incumbents for incumbents' sake, but incumbents have war chests. Incumbents build a lot into that and continue to do that. Aside from the fact that we had a, a major uh, situation with Abercrombie not falling into this pattern, generally the pattern is, though, you got money, you're the incumbent, you're likely to win. Yeah, in fact, last election cycle, no incumbent who raised more money than his or her challenger lost. I mean, that's not terribly surprising, um, but it does indicate and it does help us identify um, credible challengers where because there are a few here, ch few challengers who've raised more money than the incumbent. And that tends to indicate that these folks have a real shot. But, of course, that's the goal of incumbents. One of the reasons they raise money, one of the reasons people like Donna Mercado Kim have huge war chests, even though she's not that vulnerable. Well, in part, is she can support other candidates. But also it means it's very it's much less likely for them to face tough, credible challengers because that money is a sign that it's going to be a real slog. You know, the other thing I wanted to add to what Neil said about the weakness of the Republican Party here also is that they have there's a lot of of uh, of possible Republicans who move over to the Democratic Party, who run as Democrats, young politicians, because they just realize they don't have much future as Republicans. So they're always losing talent. I mean, and I think I, uh, Aaron Ling Johansson is a classic example of and that. And Beth Fukumoto-Chang may be one in She future. may very well, yeah. 
All right, we're going to take a phone call. We're going to start to talk about individual races. Going to Paul calling us from Maui. Aloha, Paul. Welcome to Town Square. Aloha. Thank you very much for taking my call. Um, very interesting conversation about the boring nature of the primary. And that's not the truth here, that's for sure. It's a very contested primary, both in the council races and in the state representative races, particularly the Kaniela Ng and uh, Deidre Teagarden um, race is extremely uh, contested and very uh, vituperative, as a matter of fact. Uh, they, they've had uh, days and days and days of letters to the editor for the last, oh, <laughs> week or so, or uh, ever since the deadline from the, uh, that the newspaper had for the uh, uh, letters to the editor. The other contested race for state representative is a very interesting race because it's between the, the chair of the CIP, Kyle Yamashita, a 12-year incumbent, and uh, a young woman who is um, a newcomer to politics, uh, a Bernie Krat, as a matter of fact. Um, and uh, 34 years old, Tiari Lawrence. And she organized, a, you know, she's a strong environmentalist, and she's very much involved with, um, she got endorsed by the Sierra Club and the Hawaii State Teachers Association, as well as um, several other environmental groups on Maui. And she looks like, looks like Kyle is going to have a tough time um, with her because, um, he, he's, he hasn't shown up, basically. He hasn't shown up at any of the community forums, and he's been, he also has only taken money from no givers and no we're, we're having. We're ha- I'm going to stop. I'm going to Paul. I'm going to have to stop you because we're having a terrible time with your line, and it's going a little bit robotic, and it's also dropping out. But you, you've made some really good points, and we talked about both of those races last week on the conversation and looking at how you know they represent sort of this shift of not just you know sort of a young upstart who is is progressive, but almost one is the inversion of the other one. He mentioned about Deirdre Teagard, and we're going to get to that in in a little bit more representing, uh, in some would say, you know, old guard than necessarily new progressive, but being uh, a young person or a younger person wanting to get involved with politics as well. So we're going to go, let's just start going down through some of these lists here, and we're going to hit some of these as we go on. I want to ask you first about the first district, about Hilo. Uh, Fresh Onishi, Dennis Onishi, Formerly on on the city on the the county council, also one of the ones looking to you know move on up maybe and and get himself a seat um, in the state senate, trying to take Kaikahele's seat that he got when his his father passed and now trying to get it on his own. What do you make of that race? Well, I mean, you you have three very qualified candidates. Kaika Hele, who's taking his father's seat. He's a Hawaiian Airlines pilot. He's the favorite to win. He's raised uh, uh, significantly more money than the two challengers. But Freshonishi, like you said, has plenty of experience. He's been on the council. And Kaloa Robinson is a former aide to uh, Senator Akaka. So they're all good candidates. But I suspect here that money and name recognition is going to win out. Um, and so I would be surprised if uh, Kaika Hele doesn't win this. Yeah, one of the things that's interesting about this race that has to do more with the place than it does with the candidates, because I think I agree with Colin, is this really shows the kind of political ferment that exists on the big island and on some of the neighbor islands that doesn't exist here. Because bottom line is you have three very good candidates here who arguably, I think that Kaylee's right, arguably can put up a good fight. They're politically experienced in some ways. They have good credentials. If you look through the Oahu list of candidates for various offices, very seldom 
there's a few districts. Very seldom do you find even three candidates who have this kind yeah. of heft. Does that mean then you think that this is really truly going to boil down to money as much as the name recognition? I mean, if you have three very well-qualified candidates? Money, you know, you have to be careful how you think about money. Money money doesn't buy happiness even in, even in politics. If you remember, uh, Carly Fiorina spent $150 million to lose an election in the California Senate. I could have lost an election with a lot less money. Um, but I think what it shows is the ability that you have a social network, you've already made certain kind of contacts, and that the money is a reflection of other kinds of strengths that you have. I think you're right, Colin, that this one money may make the definitive difference. But the fact that and, and the fact that he's got this kind of name recognition, the fact that he was appointed in the Senate, and the fact that he's got obviously influential people who know him already, I think, is, is right. part of it. Yeah. And this this is an important distinction that I want to bring up, which is that it's not that money is buying elections. I mean, I want to just underscore what Neil said. It, especially for these small, um, for our state Senate and, and state House elections, it's an indicator of support. And that's why it can be used pretty effectively to see who's in the lead. Because, it, I mean, it does show that someone's giving you money. Organizations are giving you money. And they're usually doing that because they think you're a credible candidate who can win. The only time you have to be careful about that is when you get a handful of, of candidates who are self-financing. And there's really only one I can think of in this cycle. All right. Well, that connection of community and the smallness of communities, too. I mean, as you may mentioned, that maybe plays much more into the race when you're talking about neighbor islands than necessarily on Oahu, given what you just said oh, a moment ago I, about I, how we see different candidates resurging. And, and it's sure. not necessarily the same thing we see on the, on the neighbor islands. No, island. it isn't. It re- I mean, every contest on the neighbor islands are greater than the... I mean, if you look at our city council races on Oahu, if you come back to them, there's almost none that are contested. There's one that has three candidates. Two of them are well-known, but not necessarily for reasons that are going to get them a lot <laughs> exactly. of votes. So I should use this opportunity to confess to the fact that I bribed my way into the election of department chair when I worked at the political science department. <laughs> now so, you can yeah, That right. sounds I like used... money poorly spent. <laughs> oh, <to me. laughs> said why? Yes. That's a question no why? One, why? Yes, that's right. It's it, that was yeah. You wouldn't want to join the club if it would take you. But yes. All right, so okay. let's let, let's go on, on to the second district for Puna because oh, that's second. the one. That's the other one you're talking about with with Gregor Elagon and 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 Russell Ruderman. You want to take that one first? Sure. I mean, this is a real. I think this is an interesting race. So uh, Russ Ruderman, he's a, the wealthiest member of the legislature. Um, he owns. Um, a, a chain of, of, of Island Naturals, and uh, he's being challenged by uh, Gregory Elagon, who is, I believe, the youngest person ever ever elected to the uh, Hawaii County Council. Um, and, I mean, this is a, kind of a bread-and-butter race, but it's, it will be interesting to me to see if voters are really interested in, in a fresh face. I mean, Russell Ruderman is a, is a liberal. Um, I think he's reasonably well-liked in his district. Um, but Gregory Illigan's hat has raised money. Um, he's supported by none other than uh, Ron Couchy, the Senate president, um, This because of earlier disagreements, you know, in the, the last uh, Senate coup. So it's, it's an interesting one to watch just because you can see— uh, how much traction kind of a young candidate um, can get, even though it's not it's not an ideological campaign exactly. You bring up uh, Senate President Ron Couchy. Any problems you think for him in this race? 
In his own race? Yeah. Oh, no. no. Definitely not. Yeah. I mean, this is just... The fact that anyone's challenging him is, I mean, I think good for democracy, but I, 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 I do not think that he is vulnerable with his uh, 264 uh, $100,000 uh, <laughs> <laughs> war chest. Yeah. Uh, again, not that money automatically makes a difference, but that's a, that's a nice amount. You know, this thing about incumbency, uh, if, you do, if you do surveys... And surveys, national surveys, will consistently show that people want Congress to change and get rid of the incumbents. But if you ask them about their own incumbents, especially if you look at how they vote, they, like they, tend, they vote. Yeah. yeah, and it's not necessarily about hypocrisy. It's about the fact that when you ultimately have to choose between, let's say, a party you've always voted for or someone that you, you, that, that you tend to do it. But this is, this is a, a really interesting test of that because if you basically want to say it's time for a new face – which politicians say all the time and people But they meet other faces. They meet other faces. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Because once you get in the voting booth, it's rather different. There is something to the, the one who is not the incumbent, the one who is the upstart, the one who can be the gadfly, who can say virtually anything and poke at anything because they don't really have a hope in Hades of, of being able to win. Anybody in this race that you think who is really typifying that in any sort of way? Or you want to just hold on to that as we move through? Okay. All right. So let's move on. What Not you... the shopping first. We'll come back to the shopping first. Oh, yeah. Percent of the shopping first party who has some yeah, interesting ideas. But we'll come back to that maybe. He's running for the U.S. Senate on the Democratic primary, right? Yeah. All right. You want to look at the 9th District? Let's, we're just taking these in, sure. in numerical order just to make it easy for everybody. Uh, Diamond Head, Kahala, Hawaii, Kai. You've got Stanley Chang trying to run. Michael Bennett signs all over the place. Richard Kim. Well, I mean, this is I mean, this is going to be a more interesting race, I think, in, in the general when um, whoever wins this runs against Sam Sloan. But you do have two credible candidates, Stanley Chang, well-known former city councilman. He's a, a, known to be a an extremely strong campaigner. I mean, knocking on every every house he can find. And then Michael Bennett, who's kind of the dark horse here. I mean, anyone who's driven out to Hawaii Kai sees his signs. Um, he's primarily self-financing, though, from what I understand. I, I mean, he's a physician. And so the money he's he's raised, I think, is pretty much his own money. So it's hard to use that to gauge how much actual support he has. And I suspect that Stanley's not going to have any problem winning this primary. I think that's probably right. By the way, it's always hard to gauge how much support people have because we don't do surveys here at that level. And so maybe the candidates do, but you don't know. William Bennett is a, is a case of what I call an amateur Democrat, and I mean that in a good way, that he's a candidate who's new to politics, although he's not making a throw the rascals out kind of thing. He's approaching this in a way that emphasizes his credentials as a doctor and so on. And that resonates with people, but usually doesn't resonate enough to get uh, someone to win. When amateur Democrats, this is big D, when they used to do well, historically, they did well because they formed a group together that had an ideology, like amateur Democrats who were Sanders people, let's say, hypothetically. If you had a group of, of Bernie Sanders supporters who then began to organize around that idea and said, you know, we're new to politics, we're fresh, we can bring new ideas and toss the rascals out. That's not what's happening here yet with the Sanders supporters. I'm not saying Bennett is one of is, mm -hmm. is he because he's not part of that kind of movement, it makes him harder to deal with someone like Stanley. And it's a huge district. That's the other part. Right. And when you look at that and you see, if, well, if, even if, if Stanley Chang were to win, how much trouble does that make for Sam Sloan? Any one of these that you think would make more for him? 
Oh, I think yeah. I think Stanley's uh, would be more uh, tough for uh, for uh, Sam to beat. I mean, partly because he's such a strong campaigner. I mean, he's been in politics for a long time. He used to represent uh, most of that district, and he is going to be the one to knock on every single door in that huge, sprawling district out there. It also depends how hard Sam Sloan is going to have to campaign yeah. and how how well he is physically. I'm, I don't have any inside information on that, but he, he, you know, he had heart surgery. Uh, he's a very feisty guy. Um, and he'll, I'm sure he'll, you know, he'll, he'll go up or he'll, he'll yeah. go up or he'll go down swinging. But I think that isn't, that is an issue because it's been a while since he's had a significant, um, uh, opposition in that district. If you're just joining us tonight on Town Square, we're taking a look at what's coming up in the primary on Saturday. So what are you watching in your neighborhood, in your district? What's meaningful to you? Primaries, as we've been talking about, well, you know, the turnout may be low and whatnot, but whatever happens, we're going to be taking it off with us into the general. And there are a lot of people who care about what's happening in the primary. Maybe that's you. We want to hear from you, 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. Eight nine. Okay, so let's look another race. Let's look, let's try try downtown, uh, Nuwano Luliha. You've got Kim Koko Iwamoto and Keone Nakoa and Carl Rhodes. So this is one of the race. few Oahu races where we really do have three well qualified candidates. Um, all have raised money. All are very credible. Um, Carl Rhodes, of course, is the judiciary chair who who represents that in the House, that district in the House. Um, Kim Koko Iwamoto is well known. She was um, the uh, first transgender um, person elected to the State Board of Education. She now sits on the, uh, she's a commissioner for the Hawaiian Civil Rights Commission. So she is also a, a strong candidate. Um, and uh, and, and they, so they all are. I mean, I think the favorite here is Carl Rhodes. He's raised the most money. He has the most endorsements. Um, but this is going to really, I think, turn on turn on turnout. Yes, there's a level of political activism in this area, that, and I, I want to come back to it when we, t- when we talk about the Chinatown uh, lower house seat to replace Carl Rhodes, because what you're getting here, and I think it's no coincidence, is people with a great deal of political experience, community work, uh, those kinds of things. And I think it has something to do with the degree to which neighborhood politics is involved in that kind of area. There's always something about zoning and so on. It's not always uh, nice neighborhood politics, but if there, there is just a kind of set of experience there uh, that you see coming up here. And I think this is, you see this in the Senate race. And whatever happens in, in the primary is going to get even more interesting when you have Rod Tam thrown into the mix as a Republican. 941-3689 is our number, or 877-941-3689 if you call us from the neighbor islands. Taking a look at what's happening with the primaries and what we uh, all may see as we go into the general election. What are you paying attention to? What's meaningful to you? Is it at all? Do you even care, or is this just enough already? 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. So, Let's move on then. What about the 14th district? What, what do you make of that with, with uh, Donna Kim? I mean, you mentioned she's got a huge war chest. She has a huge war chest. I mean, uh, Carl Campagna right? is, is, a, is a credible candidate, but he hasn't raised that much money. And to run against someone like Donna Kim with $236,000, um, there's just no chance, I'm, I'm afraid to say. 
Yeah, she wins all her elections except when she ran for Congress, when yeah. she had other people also able to run for, for her elections. And actually, and, and with the late Mark Takai at the time, who in some ways pulled a minor upset because he raised a lot of money. And it turns out he was a much better campaigner district-wise. But I don't think there's any chance here. She's, I think she's popular, she's powerful, and she's got the money. All right, 941-3689 is our number. If you call us from Oahu, use that number, 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. Saturday is Hawaii's primary, very late in the season compared to everybody else when everyone else's attention has been squarely on the general election for quite some time. And uh, just generally wondering if people are going to turn out come Saturday and to walk in. Maybe you voted already. That's been going on for a little while, too. So maybe this is just old hat for you. But if it's not, and if it has something that has uh, real relevance in your life and you're looking at how this may stack up because it's your neighborhood and your district, we want to hear from you. 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. Going to Kai from Lihue. Aloha, Kai. Welcome to Town Square. Hi. Thank you. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, so my thoughts, I am planning to vote this week. Um, but the one thing I am worried about is with this whole election season that's been going on for several months now, um, and I'm talking about the, the big election too, the presidential election and all of that, I do wonder if people are kind of sick of everything, and that may that, that may kind of keep people from going out to vote, I think. Because it has, I feel like I've been hearing about politics and elections and everything since uh for sure, early this year. So that, that's one thing I wonder about and worry about, that this election season, it, it kind of feels like it's so long, it's uh, kind of too long, is, is my thought. A really protracted and just and way too much. But you know what? You got some company there, Kai. I'm, I'm watching. <laughs> we we agree we with you. We all yes, feel that's that right. way, too. <laughs> my goodness, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I will say this. I mean, given the things that things on the national scene, uh, the boringness of Hawaii's primary is it's a bit uh, comforting, at least. <laughs> do, do you think it's? Do you think that the Trump candidacy is going to uh, dampen turnout? Or I, I've been going back and forth on that. I don't think there's been much good data yet on what that's going to do. Yeah, right. There's arguments both ways, at least yeah. from a hypothetical standpoint. Right? I mean, if I had to guess today, I think it will dampen turnout because the unfavorables are so high in both Hillary and Trump. But we'll get a chance to see in November when we uh, when we look at the general results. All right. Meanwhile, let's carry on. Let's take a look at the House. You want to start there with first on your list, Colin? Um, you want Sure. So I think that are we going to start with District Seven over in uh, on the Big Island? We can do. Um, so, so this is an interesting race. This is uh, this is one of the other races, other than the one on Maui that we'll get to, where the challenger has actually raised more money than the incumbent. So this is the seat currently occupied by Cindy Evans, um, but she's being challenged by David Tarnas, who used to serve um, in the State House. And uh, and uh, he's managed to outraise her. He has some strong endorsements, including one by HGEA. So she's she's vulnerable. This is part of HGEA's full bore effort to stop the merger, to stop the privatization of that's right. the Maui Hospital, because that's why they're putting in money here. Tarnas is against that. At the same time, this is going on. They have a lawsuit. Uh, to stop the to stop the entire thing, which they probably filed because the really sweet deal that they were going to get from the legislature uh, started to, uh, started yeah. to fall apart. So I think this is one of those races where 
it's it's different from most of the races because there is something very clear going on here. The union's not making any bones about it. Most of the other times you have to look much more deeply to see what's going on, not this one. All right, next on your list, you can pick next what you want to talk about. Would well, that be 11? I know Paul called us earlier about that, yeah. and we began to talk a little bit about that, but you had some more comments about no, what No, I don't know if I had any more comments other than to say that, that Tea Garden comes to this thing in ways that are fairly common when you look at other kinds of candidates. They've had political experience as staffers of one sort or another. Uh, she was the chief of protocol for both Neil Abercrombie and David Ige. I try to imagine what a chief of protocol would do for either one of those people. It's a little hard, but it's a fairly important <laughs> job. Um, That's she, why she had to go back to Maui. There's nothing so. to do for you. To, yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. There was everything to do for one and nothing to do for the other. <laughs> but, but she, and then she becomes the director of the Maui Office of Economic Development. And all of those things, I think, are important if you begin to understand how a person builds a political biography. It's not like you just simply make connections. It keeps you around. It keeps you interested. It keeps you there. And I think she's got a, a fairly good shot here. I mean, the other interesting thing about this is we have this young progressive, Kaniela Ng, now being challenged by someone who represents more of the establishment part of the party. She's also outraised him by uh, two to one, um, which is fairly remarkable. She has support of uh, other uh, Maui legislators. Ross Baker gave her money. Um, and she's basically been endorsed by everyone from Alexander and Baldwin to Shopo. I mean, she has all the big endorsements. So and the fact that we have this controversy over Kaniela Ng's arrest um, over failure to, or, I mean, there's sort of different versions of that story. But that probably doesn't help him. Um, I do know that his supporters passionately support him, though, and they're likely to turn out to vote for him. So so this is going to be a very close This one. is going to be a close race. But uh, but. Tea Garden's done what you need to do to, to uh, beat an incumbent, which is raise more money and get better endorsements. Okay, and so uh, go ahead. I was going to say, and again, this is a kind of race you don't see on Oahu at all, right? You yeah. think of anything even remotely like that? No. More proof. Well, let, let's talk about the 12th dif- district. T.R.E. Lawrence. We, I know that when Paul called a little more, moment ago, he called and talked about her race, Kyle Yamashita, the incumbent. Do you see the same thing happening there, or is that this, this looks almost like the inversion of that? Well, well, it is. I mean, this this race is all about uh, HB twenty five oh one, which is the uh, which is the bill that um, gave A and B these rights to keep diverting these East Maui streams, and that's what it's all caught up in because Kyle Yamashita was the co-author of that bill. I mean, it did have a lot of support from other Maui legislators. It's not just him, um, but Lawrence is running primarily on that issue, um, and she's a young. Uh, Sanders progressive. Um, I don't think she's going to win, but um, I think she'll be back to challenge him again. All right. We're going to take some callers. Everybody's been calling as we've been talking. We'll try to take all of your calls as we can. Do not wait. If you want to get in on this conversation and talk about what's important to you in your district, 941-3689 is our number if you call from Oahu or from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. On Town Square tonight, we're taking a look at a what life looks like going into the primary, some of the key races, and some of the ones that may set up key races as we head into the general election. Amina calling us from Kailua. Aloha, and thank you for your patience. Aloha. Um, thank you for having me on the show. One of the things that um, I'm paying particular attention to in this primary is um, I would like to see how voter turnout um, will be affecting our shots in this election after 
um, and from what many people agree with as a uh, misrepresenting the people of Hawaii as a superdelegate um, at the convention this year. And um, I think that with the Bernie supporters have been been so much more politically active as a force this um, this year, just to see how that is turning out for him on on the um, you know the next week will be very interesting for me. And I want to see what your thoughts are on that. All right, thanks, Amina. Thanks for the phone call. Do you see any any issues? Well, I think there's and, and I think there's two interesting issues. One is that this is not an issue. This is a pretty accurate statement pr- prediction. I think Schatz is going to win. Now she raises Amina raises an interesting question about whether by progressives. How much, yeah. Well, not by she talked about turnout, and it's yeah. I, I it's it's an interesting point that it may drop. The other side of it, though, is that is that it's not clear yet what the next step is for Sanders supporters. I mean, they were all united in supporting Bernie Sanders, and they seem to share certain kinds of economic ideas. But it takes a while. Uh, it takes both effort. It takes both coordination to jump from there to something that's more coordinated. Remember I mentioned a little while ago about uh, amateur Democrats who organize around a progressive thing. You're starting to see progressives coming out and doing some really gutsy stuff, and we even talked about all of them. But whether this is when it's going to make a difference, I don't think it will yet. I think you'll have some you'll have some angry people. You may reduce turnout. But they're not at a stage yet to really challenge because there just isn't enough involved in running for office this time. And, and, I mean, they don't really have a home to go to. No, well, and I don't know if they'll ever have a home, and that's not necessarily bad, but it does limit some of the things they can do. Well, 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 there's a lesson here, which is they can't end up like the Republicans. I mean, they need to be supporting their best candidates. Those candidates will probably need to run two, three times to really beat these incumbents. It takes time to get their name out there. Uh, they don't have, in many cases, the advantage of being an incumbent, being a member of the legislature. And so the, the progressive of insurgents will have to support support their candidates. And what if um, progr- have to be more organized. Yeah, go ahead. What have progressive insurgents done in, in the modern history of politics, democratic politics? They fight the battle within the Democratic Party. They become Democrats. There are all kinds of angers. You go back to John Burns and, and Tom sure. Schill. That, that, it's the <laughs> history of the state. Right. Yeah. To, say that, to say that the Democratic Party of Hawaii is a big tent is like saying Mount Everest is a big mountain. I mean, the, the, it just... It just <laughs> suck everybody in. It's a one-party state. You work out your battles there. Whether the progressives, and, and of course we have another history with a lot of progressives who did this, Ben Cayetano, Neil Abercrombie, they clearly were the feisty progressive side, and they fought the battle within the Democratic Party, and they won a lot of it, actually. They they were very influential. So that's the kind of thing that is likely to keep it, and no one's even talked about a third party here. Because maybe there's nothing much. Well, to there talk isn't. About. Uh, well, I, I'm not saying you should. It's the shopping party, Neil. Yes, the shopping first party. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like my house. Well, We're it gonna, sounds uh, like a straight line to a 1950s comics joke, right? You talk yeah. about you know who's going to be in the show. My mother-in-law will be in the shopping first party. That kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Nine four one three six eight nine is our number, or eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine. I'm going to take a few more callers as we're looking at the primary coming up this Saturday. Going to Mayor calling us from Waimea. Aloha, Mayor. Welcome to Town Square. Hi. I just have a quick comment about the District 9 race in, in uh, on the Big Island between Tarnas and uh, Cindy Evans. 
when David Tarnas was deciding to run originally, he met with Cindy and she assured him that she was not going to run, so he decided to do so, but then when it came down to it, she was running, so I just felt like that should be declared. Thank you. All right. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks very much. Going now to Bill calling us from Maui. Aloha, Bill. Welcome to Town Square. Uh, alo- aloha, Beth Ann. Uh, yeah, I'm interested. I'm very interested in all the uh, primaries on Maui, but I, I wanted to comment on the South Maui. And I know you uh, were just talking about the Tea Garden Inn. And uh, well, um, Kaniella, he's certainly uh, taking a, uh, a spanking from the uh, groups that supported him before because he's made some votes. Like on 2501, he was a vocal opponent of uh, over, overturning what the courts had decreed and uh, giving A and B the water for three more years. So on Maui, a lot of people see him as a people's candidate, and uh, he raised the money for the uh, high school in Kihei, and he, he's been a wonderful legislator, and now he's got, you, you mentioned she's been out raising him with money. Uh, you didn't mention that uh, 90% of it's come from off the island. So it, it, I, I've heard you say also you, you guys don't think money has a big effect on it. Um, that you can't buy influence, but it seems to me, and a lot of people here on Maui, like this election is is um, it's the uh, it's the corporations and special interests that are really making a statement by supporting a candidate and putting a candidate in uh, to replace an incumbent that didn't um, you know didn't vote necessarily the way that special interests wanted him to. Now, we didn't say you can't buy influence. We said there are other things besides money that really help to make a candidate successful. And that, uh, uh, as they say, the Carly Fiorina one, which is an extreme example, when you have a lot of money and you're running in a place where um, it's a heavily Democrat party system that's heavily against you. So I don't I just want to make that clear. Oh, okay, okay. But in this case, the money. I understand. Yes, yes. Yeah, the money is really mattering. It's coming from off the island, and and um, so anyway, it's it. it yeah, I'd like to see money out of politics and publicly funded fund, publicly funded elections. All right, Bill. Thanks very much for the call. Glad to have you. Thank you. Thank. Talk to us on Town Square. But you know, the idea of money coming from elsewhere, you know, dark money. We don't know exactly who's funneling it in for what. But we've seen a lot more of that in recent years and on a lot nastier campaigns. And, and certainly as we move into the general, it may get even nastier. 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. If you have particular races that you've been watching and the primary is Saturday, maybe you voted already. Maybe you're going to get out and go vote on Saturday to make a statement about walking in and, and being in your polling place. We want to hear from you, 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. We're going to go to Matt calling us from Eva. Aloha, Matt. Welcome to Town Square. Aloha. Hi there. Make sure you turn down, about, your radio. turn down your uh, Randy radio. Randy Gaunt, a uh, very exciting Democratic candidate out in Eva Beach. Uh, he's running uh, against Rose Martinez in the primary, and uh, I think he's got a real shot at taking out the Republican, uh, Bob McDermott. Uh, so... People are really excited about him. I know. You, you know, this is uh, this is an interesting race out there. Um, so, Randy Gantz, I believe he's a he's a maybe he's a graduate student. He's a he's a very young guy, um, but he's raised some decent money. He has an HGA endorsement, um, so he's clearly being groomed uh, to run against Bob McDermott. Um, I don't know if McDermott's going to lose, but he's going to be a credible challenger out there, and maybe a credible challenger in races to come. Yeah. 
All right, Matt. Thanks very much. 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. Okay, I'm going to get back to your list. I know we got sort of moved along there for a little bit, but let's let's go back to your list. Neil, you take the next one that you want to talk about that you think is a race worth looking at. Well, I think that um, the Kauai one is interesting. There's an open seat, right, in, in, uh, That's right. in 14 in the Lihue area, and, and Fern Rosenstiel is... Uh, was very much active in the pesticide, the anti-pesticide, or the drawing the lines around the pesticide. So this is a continuation, as is the Kaneala Ing one, really, a continuation of some significant um, significant environmental issues that have been around. I And I don't know, one, if there's any outside money in this one. I forgot to check, frankly. But uh, outside money on environmental issues, GMO-related issues, pesticide issues from both sides have, have been there. So I think that, it, it, that that's an interesting race because of who she is and the fact that she can move forward with the anti-pesticide stuff, which doesn't really get a lot of traction in the legislature. Colin, do you want to comment on that one, or we, can we move on? We can move on. I mean, this okay. is we've seen this before. I just wanted to, to mention the uh, the uh, the likely victor here, who is uh, 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 Nadine Nakamura, who is the current uh, managing director for the county of Kauai. So we have a, an establishment Democrat, and we have one of these progressive insurgents. And I hope, even if Fern Rosenstiel doesn't win this time, I hope she she stays around because these these are the kind of candidates progressives need to support, and they may need to run a few times. It's a reminder that there are really two different tracks of progressivism in, in this election. One, which is the older one, which is coming through the environmental issues over the past five to ten years here. And the second is the Sanders one. And actually, the older one, these people have been involved for longer periods of time. The Sanders candidates, the ones that got in Bernie Sanders, if you look at their backgrounds, they tend to be newer to politics. All right, we're going to go back to the phones See what you all are paying attention to. Paul calling us from the Hamakua Coast. Aloha, Paul. Welcome to Town Square. Hello. Aloha. Um, Hi there. This week, uh, um, I listened to two uh, interviews with uh, Harry Kim and Wally Lau with uh, Beth Ann Kosovich. Um, and uh, she seemed to kind of smooth with them more than anything else. And we didn't Paul, get any Paul, straight answers. Hang on a second. We, Paul, Paul is this, is this Paul Bryant by any chance? Is this Paul Bryant by any chance? This is Paul Bryant. You got it, ma'am. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich. I know so, you are. Yes, okay. ma'am. Okay. And you've and, already sent me your comments, and you were very upset that we didn't include all the candidates and that— No, I, I'm, I forgot about that. I'm, I'm at the point now I just really want to know why doesn't anybody go to the juggler and ask the questions that everybody else wants answered? Like, is Harry going to live through his term, or are we going to end up with an unelected mayor? And well, we're not God, and we don't know if he can any, live through his term or not. Does, does, he, does he not realize that he's the protector of the public interest when he's in that position? He seems to, to think he is. That certainly came across in the interview when we talked to him. Well, you, you, you were listening in the mic. I was listening on the radio, and I heard it completely different. I didn't hear an answer at all from him. He screamed well, that one completely, and you forgot to ask him. Okay, well, we can, we can debate about that. How he could have made that difference. You know, okay, well, we can certainly talk about that mayoral race, if you like. And thanks very much for the call. Okay, so taking a look at the mayoral race, the, you know, the two big ones, obviously, are on Oahu and on... Uh, for, or for Hawaii County, and looking at you know the front runners, Her, uh, Wally Lau, who we talked to this morning on the on the conversation, and Harry Kim, who we talked to earlier in the week, and and Paul Bryant, who just called up, who was one of the eleven other candidates in there. How do you assess 
that election? Well, I think that it's more likely to be the two candidates that you that you mentioned, and I think there are reasons for that. I, let me just say something about Harry Kim that's not necessarily for or against Harry Kim, because that's not what we do here. Harry Kim is so much the product of—this is not all he is. I get back to it. So much the product of people's wishful thinking about how politics should work, the true kind of non-political amateur who doesn't need money and doesn't speak— uh, and, and it doesn't really have to answer any everybody. Some of that is right, and that, I think that's part of why he wins. The other side of it, of course, is that he is an experienced administrator. And I think when people on the Big Island don't like something that's happened, say Billy Canoy's mm-hmm. uh, history, they tend to fall back on someone like like Harry, who is tried and true and comes about as close to that. Um, that kind of notion of what politics should, that sort of highly romanticized notion of what a politician should like, even though in good ways and in bad ways, he's not really like that. Colin? Yeah, I mean, this is Harry Kim's style. He won't take more than $10 from anyone. I mean, it's his whole shtick. And and he almost beat Billy Kanoi last time in barely raising any money. And I think Kanoi spent, you know, almost $700,000 on that race. You see a similar thing here. I mean, we're talking about does money matter? Well, Harry Kim doesn't need to really raise much money. Wally Lau has raised far more money than he has. But I I really think it's going to be tough for him to win. I mean, I think it's going to move forward to to the general election between um, Kim and Lau. But because think, goodwill just isn't enough. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's quite enough, but I think I think Kim is going to win this because that Kanoi scandal really does hang over everything. And and Wally Lau was his managing director. Um, I mean, it's going to be tough for him to run away from that, even though he's done a great job raising money. Um, and he's certainly a credible candidate. But I think people will want to re- return to the Harry Kim kind of modest, good administrator. I don't even, you know, he almost has this old school front porch campaign where, yep. you know, the, he's campaigning by not campaigning. And the mythology of that may be enough to carry him quite yeah, long, well, certainly, certainly into the general election. You know, given, given the Kanoi scandal, it certainly looks good for him because that's the kind of candidate that people want right now. And despite the fact that Wally Lau has outraised money uh, and he's coming at it very differently, you think the shadow of the Billy Kanoi issues will be enough to be able to not allow him to, to win outright? I'm willing to bet if they, if you did a poll on the Big Island and you did a, a name recognition poll, three times the number of people would recognize Harry Kim's yeah. name than would recognize Wally Lau's name. And that's whatever else we're saying about Harry Kim. He was mayor before. He's got extraordinarily high name recognition, and he's been able to do this without having too much money. So, you know, character aside, that's pretty formidable stuff. Yeah. And if you missed the interview with Wally Lau this morning, it's on the archive on hawaiipublicradio.org. Just look under the conversation, under talk shows, and you can find it from this morning and what he had to say about the Billy Kanoi shadow hanging over his uh, his campaign, which he doesn't really believe is a shadow. 941-3689 if you'd like to join us, 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. Going to Michelle calling us from Kaneohe. Aloha, Michelle. Welcome to Town Square. Hi, aloha. Hi there. Okay, I just had a question about Rod Cam. Uh, Many people do. Given all of the pilipia that he has had in the past uh, and the fact that he has abandoned the Democratic Party and jumped to the Republican Party, I don't know. It, It seems to me that 
a candidate like him is basically wasting everybody's time. Am I wrong in that thinking? Well, the Republican Party doesn't seem to think that he's wasting their time, but that's a whole other issue. Colin, you, I, I watch you shake your head here. I mean, I agree. I don't think he. <laughs> there is any possibility that he's going to win. I don't know what the party's thinking. I'm not sure what he as a candidate is thinking. Um, but I feel pretty confident in saying whoever wins the Democratic primary uh, for that seat will win the general. I've never heard like of somebody any... Somebody else said earlier, I think he's got a snowball's chance in Haiti. I've never heard a political candidate of any political stripe who is thinking of running for office either for the first time or, or another time saying, you know what, I'm not going to do it because I'm wasting the people's time. <laughs> can, can it, can it, it's really true. That one of the things that I've – it took me a long time to figure this out about people running for office and about people who are in office. And it's probably because I'm much more skeptical than they are. They're eternal optimists. Now, yes, Rob Tam is in, let's say, a class by himself, and the Republican Party – chair made a big mistake by giving this kind of celebration of Rod Tam. Listen, he filled the spot on the ticket. They weren't going to get another Republican. Don't say anything. But he made Rod Tam seem like the best of sliced bread. But my main point is whether he yeah, wished... Well, look yeah. at what they've got for a presidential candidate. Well, we could go there That's another, another time. conversation. Yeah, that's we probably right. don't want to have, Please, have lots I'd of... I'd those... like a Trump sabbatical for the next <laughs> 20 minutes. Yeah. You and everybody else. <laughs> Thanks very much, Michelle, for the call. 941-3689 or 877-941-3689 if you want to give us a call. We're going to go now to Mike, also calling us from Kaneohe. Aloha, Mike. Uh, aloha. Uh, yeah, I have a question about uh, Tom, rather on the uh, CD2 race between uh, Tulsi and Shea. Of course, Shea's the overwhelming underdog, um, and you, i got to admire her for jumping in there. But when I talked to her, she seems to think that the windward side really isn't part of her district. The windward side of Oahu is not really part of CD2. And uh, I wonder if that's really true. Is the windward side sort of irrelevant to who wins in the, in the CD2? And then in that case, we're kind of orphaned. Uh, you would have to, all you have to do is count on your fingers or use a calculator. The majority of the population, I think, is still in the in the windward side. What she, what she may mean, what Chan may mean, is that she could somehow win without it, or that the basis of her support is somewhere else. That, let's say, as I said a minute ago, how optimistic political candidates could be. That's right up there in the super optimist category. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for the call. Okay, now I want to get through your list before we have to say goodbye, which is in about 10 minutes. So of the the races that we have not yet talked about, uh, we didn't take a look at the Dennis Miller race. Do you want to talk at all about that? Do you want to just... Well, I mean, that's a race where Tom Brower and, yeah. and Dennis Miller, that it's he would be flattered that you mentioned it as a Dennis Miller race. He's, uh, he's another... I did that for you. Oh, thank you. No, no, he's another Sanders guy who has some pretty... Sanders-like ideas, an eighteen, uh, an $18 an hour minimum wage, single-party payer for medical things, uh, stuff like that. He, you never know with, with, uh, with Brower because of his that one bad act, but he's won an election since then, and I think he's, he's pretty hard to so beat. So people have forgotten about him. With- well, I don't know if they've forgotten, but you make judgments about whether that's significant enough. And also, after a while, incumbency and name, people just don't pay attention to other candidates. Okay, how about Isaac Choi's race? The oh, <laughs> Manoa race. Yes. Uh, well, so this is this is an interesting one. It's it's 
it's uh, it's Isaac Choi, who's the incumbent, um, running against Dale Kobayashi, the son of Ann Kobayashi, um, who has had tremendous support by UPA, um, the UH Faculty Union, to run against Choi. Um, he's done a very good job raising money. Uh, recently, he's been raising money faster than Choi. And the issue here, really, there's two issues. Uh, the first is uh, people at the university are frustrated um, by pieces of legislation Choi has introduced that they feel undermines the university's autonomy and takes some funding away. There's also the issue of Paradise, the Paradise Park redevelopment at the back of Manoa Valley. This is really where Dale Kobayashi gets his start in politics, um, which is organizing the opposition against that. Uh, but I, this is an interesting race because of, I think, because of Choi's behavior, right? I mean, if he uh, he has made some, to me, uh, strange choices as the incumbent representative of Manoa, which has essentially been to run against uh, some of his uh, most important constituents, uh, the university faculty members and UH Manoa itself. I mean, as a result of that, he's getting a lot of uh, blowback from from UPA. Um, and he which very we, well yeah. could lose this race. Which we saw in the, in the last legislative session. And that's right. Although you have to remember that that the district is much more than the um, university faculty. It's just, just a small minority that's of right. university faculty live there, either ones that could afford it a long time ago or people like you who are renting from uh, the, the, in university housing. I think his his kind of... Uh, the way he's opposed the university generally, I think, has upset a lot. Of, uh, and that's that's what the UPA concern is. OK, how about the 28th district? That's John Mizuno's district and Ikaika Hussey. Yeah, that's a yeah. serious challenge, serious challenge by an incumbent. I think th- it's not necessarily that Mizuno has any weakness, but Ikaika Hussey is pretty well known. He's he's a writer. He's been well known. He's been active in the community. If I had to stick my neck out and guess, I would say that Mizuno is still the favorite. But but Ikaika Hussey, I've known him before. You never underestimate that guy. And it's it's an, a, a one of the few races on the on this island on Oahu where you have two formidable candidates against one another in the Democratic primary. Okay, earlier you wanted to talk about Chinatown. Before we have to say goodbye, I want to make sure. You well, uh, all I want to say about district. Chinatown is this very quickly: is that they have us. They have uh, at least three candidates who have a fair amount of political experience, um, community board stuff, uh, local commissions. One was a, on city council in the Philippines, and then got involved here. I think what it says about China town is that it's a, a level of political activity there that is very strong. It has something to do with neighborhood boards. It has something to do with zoning. It has something to do with the changes that are going on in downtown. And so you see, and that's what the, makes 29 a sort of interest. It's an open seat um, with three candidates who have a, a fair degree of political heft and also experience in the community. All right. I'm going to ask you really quickly to go through your list and see the ones that you would especially want to talk about as we take a very quick call from Chris calling us from the North Shore. Aloha, Chris. Are you there? Yes. Hi. Hi there. Hi. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to share with everybody in the, in the North Shore district, which would be uh, Kahuku, Haleiwa, Waialua. Um, I, I actually know uh, the candidate, Sean Finland, who is going to be running against the incumbent uh, Feiki Kuoha and Sean is uh, one of those one of the people that we've come to term as Bernie Kratz who want to make change in our local politics and uh, became active as a chair in our district and is uh, working on a lot of uh, interesting things he helped uh, secure the the project and the funding 
for the new basketball court right in front of the Foodland mm-hmm. at Sharks Cove. And uh, he has a lot of other programs in mind. All right, Chris, only in the interest of time do I have to say goodbye to you, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad you called. We talk a lot about these, you know, new, the Bernie Kratz and what that will do to the party as such. Do you see the, a real split off in this way that Bernie Kratz are going to be able to coalesce in, in Hawaii? Well, not yet, and that's not a uh, that's not a knock on the Bernie Kratz. It's just that it takes some time. I mean, you know, this was not a group that was ever a kind of consciousness and kind group. It didn't exist. They back they came behind Bernie. Coming behind Bernie is not about a group. It's about people with somewhat similar interests who were suddenly thrown together on on over one compelling candidate and and secondarily some economic issues. And that's not. It's certainly not okay. ready to but, go next. Yeah, but go we ahead. should give them credit, which yes. is that these people who are not involved in politics before, most of them don't have these political resumes that you often see, have been have been great candidates. I mean, Sean Quinlan is a good example of that. He's been raising a lot of money, yeah, um, so, so what, he he may be. I mean, he he may be a credible challenger. So what I hear you say though is, is you know not not to discount any of these folks because they may very well be back in the future, and we may be looking at the future being built through this ideology that we're sort of looking at as being, you know, Bernie Kratt. Before we have to say goodbye, which is in just a, a couple of minutes, other races that you think that you really would be remiss in not talking about? Well, we haven't talked about the the mayor's race in the city and county yet. <laughs> I was glad <laughs> for you that to go Oh, that. <laughs> oh, that. Go ahead. Well, I think this has been, um, I mean, this has basically been covered so, uh, so much. I mean, I, the real question here, which I think is extremely unlikely, is if Charles DeJou can get to that 50% plus one threshold. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. We're going to see him and Caldwell drag this out. Caldwell will try to remind everyone that DeJou is really a Republican. Um, and DeJou's best line is that the mayor has two jobs. You know, that brings up all of these ethical concerns. Um, I think we're going to see more of that. Um, but the mayor's got a lot more money, uh, he, at least right now. Well, Jews raising money faster than him now, so that may that may uh, change the balance of this race a bit. All right, anything on your list? Well, Neil? I was going to say that it, as long as we're on the mayor's race, that that unfortunately for these three candidates, the best they can promise in regard to rail is a vague, optimistic notion of what the future might bring, and that's because nobody really knows where you can get this kind of money. And the kind of suggestions that they have, the first question you have was, why didn't you think of this before? So I think people are going to have to make judgments on faith here. All right. Well, we've got a lot more that we'll be talking about after we come through Saturday. Uh, Interesting stuff going out there in Mililani, too. We didn't get to that one, but we'll have to talk about that one another time. Thanks very much for coming in. As always, we never get through as, as much as we want to, but I'm very glad that you were here. Colin Moore, Neil Milner, and you, too as you always join us on Town Square. I'm Beth Ann Koslovich. I'll see you in the morning for the conversation. Meanwhile, have yourselves a good evening. Aloha.